1: grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today it's a provocative title for a message, but it's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Pastor Sean is doing a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we're in chapter 6. The question for you is, not just what does Paul say, but what does God say about sex as it relates to marriage and outside of marriage? And then Pastor Sean will also share some good practical wisdom and hope for you. Reachingforreallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do today. It's a place to give at reachingforreallife.org. The message today is called Let's Talk About Sex. It's in the series called One. Sean starts off in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? First Corinthians chapter 6. Our series is called One. It's the book of 1st we we're walking through. Just one lesson from each chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. We called the series one because Paul is addressing a church divided. And it's a church, Corinth is obviously a very affluent, cosmopolitan place in that first century Greek world. And they're very divided along worldly terms, kind of like the church in America today. Okay, so I think it's a timely word. And we called it one, one gospel, one church. One spirit and one mission. And a couple of weeks ago, remember, we learned God never called me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. And that if we're faithful, there's a kind of fruit that comes from that that transcends even success. Last week, we looked at chapter 5, and we learned how you see sin says everything about how you see God. How we see sin says everything about how we see God, because it starts with our vision of him, who he is. What he's called to be what he has called us to be. And I just think that's a powerful and important part. Now, this week in chapter 6, the title of day's message is let's talk about sex. And as you had expected, coming to church. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> several of you just said, we're staying, we're staying. We were going to leave after communion, but we're in. <laughs> chapter 6, he begins by talking about lawsuits um, with your brother's and sisters. He's talking about a church that is, is literally when there's a dispute, they're taking each other to court. And he says, wait a minute, you can't settle your own disputes? You're, you're brothers and sisters. You're supposed to be like family. The Greeks were particularly litigious. They just were. It was They had a very advanced system, their legal system, and they were far more. The Jews not so much. The Jews understood that they were a family, and they took care of things first in, in tribes and in communities. And then if it needed to go up, before the greater kind of groupings, they could, but they tried to deal with things in the context of the family. It doesn't mean they didn't have law. It doesn't mean they didn't have right and wrong. God had given them all that, but they they had a different understanding. So Paul is kind of shocked by this group of people. They're believers, and they're they're suing one another. And so he just says, "Guys, come on. You're the body of Christ. You can deal with." These contexts of disputes. And here's what he says about that. I'm going to pick up at verse 7. He says, You have lawsuits. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already to defeat for you. Listen to what he says. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. He's saying, Wait, You're children of the king. You're children who, of faith. He says, Rather than you hurting or doing wrong to someone else, go ahead and be wronged be wronged. Be defrauded. I don't want to be wronged. I don't want to be defrauded. He says, you're a child of the king. He says, you're cared for. God will meet your needs. If you lose something, you know your father has the capacity to take care of you. You're fine. It's, It's better to be wronged, he says, than to wrong someone. And that's the framework. And that's a faith perspective. We understand that. We understand that he's talking about faith. And he goes on and he says, this is verse 9. He turns here and changes the subject. He says, or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is this idea of God's, God's design for all of us, for every person on the planet. He wants them to be under his rule and his reign for the purpose of the blessing and the, the gifts that he wants to give. But it is his kingship. Make no mistake. Don't you, unknow, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. He goes on, neither the sexually immoral, in the Greek that word is pornos, and it's often translated fornicators. That's people who are sexually involved outside of God's design. And that word pornos, interestingly, they would talk about male prostitutes in that culture. They would use that phrase, but that's not all it meant. It particularly meant just sexual immorality outside of God's design. He says, so neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, those who violate their marriage vows, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, not drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So he lists this list of people who can't inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this in verse 11, and such were some of you. In other words, unless you're getting all self-righteous right now and pointing fingers. He goes, wait a minute, where do you think you came from? Remember, the Bible says all have sinned. He says, such were some of you. And then he says this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, you were forgiven and you were filled. You were forgiven because of the cross of Jesus where he paid the penalty for your sins. And then you were filled with his Spirit. And he goes on to this, says this, verse 12. And understand he's quoting here. He's quoting a saying that they would have said. All things are lawful for me. And then he comments, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but I will not be dominated by anything. Here's another saying. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. The Greeks had this idea. They didn't love the, they, they just thought that the metaphysical was far more significant than the physical world. They didn't have, you know, if you've studied Gnosticism, you, you understand that this idea that they just kind of didn't give much credence. It didn't matter. It was all perishing. And it also meant, well, then I can do whatever I want with my body because it's base and... It's not eternal. It doesn't matter anyway. And so he says, food is meant for the stomach, stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. In other words, they are going to perish one day. And he goes on and says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And listen, God raised the Lord. And will also raise us up by his power. In other words, your body, there will be a new body, a resurrected body. So don't look down on your bodies. Because look what else he says. Do you not know, this is verse 15, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? He's bringing up an interesting timeless principle. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis 2. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. And then going into chapter 7, look what he says. He's now concerning the matters about which you wrote. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's talking about unmarried people. And then verse 2, he says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would help us to hear your word. Help us to hear the truth of your word. And help us to hear the love of your words, the love in your words, and help us to respond with humility and obedience as we listen for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So verse 9 is his key. That's kind of his transition, right? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There is this sense of saying, you know, we cannot just kind of do whatever we want and say, God, I want everything that you have. And... Again, remember, he said, lest you be self-righteous, such were some of you. Such were some of you. The big question that this brings up is, how do I see redemption? How do I see the redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ and his cross? Does redemption mean I can do whatever I want because of grace? Because of Jesus, because of grace, I can just do whatever I want. I've kind of got an eternal hall pass. I said the prayer, I've gone to church a couple times, so now I can do whatever I want. Or... Does God have something bigger? And am I being formed in the image of Christ? How do I view my salvation? How do I view redemption? What is it that I'm actually seeing? And it's then that Paul goes into this conversation about sexual purity. And I want us to have that conversation. This idea of sexual purity. Now, we live in a culture with all kinds of different views on sexuality. And the question is, how did we get here? Something happened in the 1960s, and it didn't start there, obviously, right? This is a part of who we are as people. But in the 1960s in the United States, we saw what was called a sexual revolution. And it was really a revolution against what at the time was the Judeo-Christian norms of the 1940s, 1950s, and really before in America. America's a very unique place, right? It really is. We need to understand this. We are a country that was founded from the very beginning with this Judeo-Christian ethic. I am not saying that all the founders were spirit-filled disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. What I am saying is they had a biblical worldview. Many of them came here for religious freedom. Others came for other reasons. But from the very beginning in our founding documents, there's this idea of God. There's this idea of his work and you see his law in You see it in the Declaration of Independence. You see images of it. You see things in the Constitution that suggest and whisper to this idea. You see many of the founders were religious founders. And so while not everybody was a Christian, there was this sense of, okay, right and wrong is basically what biblical Christianity is. And that's very unusual in world history and church history. And so all throughout the early decades the early years of this nation, that was kind of just the norm. Even if people weren't, certain people weren't walking by that, they understood, yeah, there's the Ten Commandments, there's the Beatitudes, there's turn the other cheek, there's go the extra mile. All these sayings that we have are because of our Judeo-Christian roots. And this was kind of the morality of the day. Well, in the 60s, something began to happen, and there was this revolution. And it was a revolution against that Judeo-Christian christian norm and what happened was there was a growing acceptance of things that were not really accepted before that doesn't mean they weren't done before but they weren't accepted in the same way, and that's a difference growing acceptance of premarital sex whereas it happened before but there was this sense of taboo and in the 60s it kind of came out and said no no why should this be taboo homosexual sex same thing adultery even while adultery was never advocated And it wasn't like they gave people a pass. It just wasn't as shocking as it was before.
1: And let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called Let's Talk About Sex, in the series on unity called One, which is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others... Just find the Donate tab at ReachingForReallife.org. In fact, your gift of any amount will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azarro. podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the spirit-filled life.
2: I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the spirit. Order your
1: copy of a Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-filled Life by Sean Nazarro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, let's talk about sex. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: How about divorce? It had happened before, but there was this kind of resolve and this acceptance of it. Pornography. Interestingly, the pill, as an affordable and generally effective birth control method, facilitated kind of the separation of one of the natural consequences of sex outside of marriage. And it kind of created an opportunity where, okay, that's one consequence that I probably won't have to deal with. Then in 1969, a lady named Norma McCorby became pregnant, here actually in Texas. You might know her by a pseudonym she used for the trial. Her, her pseudonym was Jane Roe. And she sued for the right to have an abortion. And in 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed as the law of the land by the Supreme Court. And now it wasn't just possible to prevent pregnancy, but to terminate pregnancy. And that changed the playing field. And that was largely based on this sexual revolution. Because you're like, well, I know a surefire way to prevent pregnancy. That's do not have sex. But because that, by 1969, 1970, 1971, 1973 that was unacceptable. That's, you just can't even consider that. Now we have to deal with this consequence called pregnancy. And so abortion became the law of the land. So that's just kind of a a walk at, at where this radical shift in American thinking came. Slogans began to emerge. Well, if it feels good, do it. You love who you love, it's just sex. New concepts sexual identity, gender identity as opposed to God's design. You need to understand, those are recent concepts. Okay? This idea that aside from the way we are created and designed, there are these other concepts, this idea of alternate identities emerged. And all of this, this, this sexual battle, became the front line for a humanist rebellion against the theistic worldview. And this wasn't new. You need to understand, for us in America, it felt new. It wasn't new. This had been going on all over the world for thousands of years. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing, and he talks about how people rejected God, how they rejected him and his leadership and some of the consequences of that. And in verse 24 of Romans 1, here's what he says. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind, to do... What ought not to be done? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. It's not just sexual. He's saying, all these things, you reject God, you rebel against God, this is what happens. Deceit, maliciousness, or excuse me, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of the evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And then the rest of the book of Romans, he goes on and gives God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. He describes the salvation that God has in the midst of this rebellion. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because here's the main point of the whole thing I think Paul is wanting to say and I want us to kind of center on. God wants to redeem and bless every area of life including your sex life. God wants to redeem and bless every area of your life, including your sex life. And I just want you to know, folks, we got to talk about this. We have to talk about this. It is everywhere. It is as though in our culture there is the, there is the sacrament of sexuality. And everything centers around it. We can't ignore this. Now I want to give you this morning four principles of sexual purity, if I can. Four principles of sexual purity that Paul brings from this passage of scripture, and that I think we can draw. First, this is so important, so basic, but you got to grab it. First, you have a creator, and we're created with a design. Let me say that again: you have a creator, and we're created with a design. This is a core idea. This is discipleship one-on-one. You were created and you were bought with a price. That's what verses 19 and 20 said. It says you're bought with a price. You're not your own. We have a creator, and we were created with a design, and this is a core idea. We are not our own. We're followers of Jesus. This is just basic Christianity. He created us, and then when we sold ourselves into the slavery of sin, he bought us back. And that's an understanding. So what that means is, Sex is something you do, not something you are. Some of you need to write that one down. Sex is something you do, not something you are, because we've, been, we've t- turned sex into something that we are. See, sex is not your identity. Your sexual attractions do not get to determine your identity. Your identity is who God created you to be and who you are in Christ. That's for every one of us. The designer, the creator, gets to tell what our identity is. And this idea that our attractions get to create our identity is an absolute broken and bankrupt idea that we need to stop and look at it critically critically and go, wait a minute, why do we believe that? The attraction is different than identity. We all have unhealthy attractions. The scripture says all have sinned. Do You understand that, right? We all have unhealthy attractions. We talk about the person with same-sex attractions, and we get all worked up about that. And that is, according to Scripture, an unhealthy, unbiblical attraction. But it's not different than the married man who's made a vow to his wife, and he has an attraction to a woman who's not his wife. And he's going, I'd like to be with her. Do you understand that that doesn't make him an adulterer? The attraction does not make him an adulterer. What makes him an, an adulterer is following that attraction and acting on it. Then he becomes an adulterer. If a person has same-sex attraction, that doesn't make them homosexual. Homosexuality is an act. In the same way that a person, a a man who sees a woman he's not married to, hey, I'm attracted to her, he's not an adulterer yet. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is something that we have to overcome. Temptation is something we all face, we all walk through. But it's not my identity. And we really got to grab onto this. That is not our identity. We are all in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And this is so important. And we've talked about different kind of attractions. Not even, forget sexual. I told you before, there are some people who might just be more volatile. Okay? Blame it on your nationality. I am Irish, so I have a temper. All right? Say whatever you want. And, and, you know, I'm not, I don't know, maybe there is some genetic predisposition for some people to be more volatile. Maybe on, on the plus side, it's more passionate and more decisive. Maybe on the negative side, it's a little more volatile. You might say, gee, I'm sorry, I got a gene. I can't help it. I get mad. And so, therefore, I can't help myself. You can't get mad at me when I punch people in the face. I just have this desire and I punch people in the face. No, we would never, we would go, no, 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 no. You may have this volatility, but you can choose not to punch people in the face. And we encourage you to stop punching people in the face. Because they're going to punch back. And, and I'm just saying, it's, a, it's an attraction, it's a, it's a tendency, it's a thing. And see, one of the things that we understand here, and this is what's interesting, and, and to those who, who have struggled with or do struggle with same-sex attraction, I just want to say to you, one of the great tragedies and harms that culture, the church has played a part in this too, the culture's played a part in this, we've all played a part in this, you, you have been made to feel like you're different. Like you're, you're different. You have this, this, nobody else understands because you're different. You're not different. We all have that. It might not be same-sex attraction, but it might be attraction to lots of people of the opposite sex, that that we could say, well, I have an attraction, and so I can go and I can just have sex with whomever I want. And we say, no, 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 you can't. The Bible teaches us that we can say no to harmful attractions. It might be anger. It might be, I'm a klepto. I can't help it. I've stolen three things this morning while you weren't looking. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you that. No, I'm kidding. But the point is, you know what I'm saying? It's like we all have it. So if you're here with same-sex attraction and, and you've kind of wrestled with that, hid that, or, or maybe tried to identify yourself with it, I just want to say, we're not different. We're the same. And while I maybe can't understand your particular unhealthy attraction or unbiblical attraction, i got a whole bunch of my own I'm wrestling with. And how we deal with this. Now, see, this is where it matters. Because we're all called to be here we're all called to follow jesus and that's what we do we're called to help each other follow jesus see our goal is to conform our lives to his word and his design not try to get him to conform to ours you know if someone comes to be a part of the fellowship it's like don't change me don't change don't try to change me it misses the whole point we are all growing and changing to become more like jesus every one of us starting with the guy behind the lectern on the platform we are becoming more like christ that's called christian maturity we are overcoming the things because we have the power of his spirit we've been forgiven by the cross we are being filled with his spirit empowered to change that's
1: pastor sean azaro you've been listening to reaching for real life radio if you'd like to hear this full message in the series called one it's available right now on demand at ReachingForRealLife.org. and we'd also love to hear from you on our contact us page or even better